0: Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address entitled Elements of Happiness was given on February 22nd of 1977 by H. Burke Peterson, then the second counselor in the presiding bishopric of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Due to its archival nature, the following recording may exhibit substandard audio quality. Good morning. I think I'm glad to be here, and I've been thinking a lot about it. Last week after Bishop Clark was here, I, uh, I asked him how did he get along, and How did he feel about what went on? He said, well, they gave me every chance to be a success, and if I wasn't, it wasn't their fault, and what with, as President Oakes has said, what with uh, Engineering Week, and uh, my favorite people, of course, are women, because I have five daughters and no sons, then have them sing one of my favorite numbers. Over the years, our daughters have learned to play several numbers on the piano uh, that are kind of my favorites, and this is one of them. And I've told them that uh, those are the numbers I would like to have them play at my funeral. And uh, this may be it. And I've, <laughs> we've already had the first one. <clears throat> After uh, Bishop Clark spoke last week, my secretary in a very, casual but uh, uh, concerned way, said, Bishop, I think that they may call from the Y and uh, want to know what you're going to talk about. You see, she had only taken a couple of notes at that point, and she wasn't sure I knew, and she was trying to help me get something in my mind, and rather quickly I I told her that uh, I think I'll talk about how to be happy and enjoy it. And then I've thought since then about what I said to her, and uh, I'm one who believes that uh, happiness is kind of a do-it-yourself project, that it's homemade. I've had some interesting conversations over the years with uh, many people. And I've found that we, <clears throat> we vary in degree of happiness. Uh, some of us are up here, and up here, down here, and we go in the range between. Uh, happiness and peace, uh, it seems that they aren't constant. But we have our peaks and our valleys, and I've uh, found some who are always waiting for happiness to happen. Are always waiting for it to come and waiting for the right conditions and circumstances so that they can be happy. Over the years, I've talked with many married couples who've had or are having marital problems, and uh, I've had many of them tell me, "Well, if I guess if we just weren't married, and uh, we might be happier." And then I've talked to hundreds of young people that have get to a certain age, and they tell me if, if we could just be married, I know we'd be happy. And uh, I've had others tell me, uh, oh, if I could just get out of school and get to work, I'd be happy. And then I've had others tell me who are out of school and to work, oh, for the good old days, to be back in school where I was really happy. I've had some say, if I just had more money, I would be happy. I haven't had many tell me that if I didn't have so much money, I wouldn't be happy. (laughs) Some have said uh, if I was just a little taller, I could be happier, or if I was just a little shorter, I could be happier if I was just a little bigger or a little smaller. It seems that we're constantly, many are constantly waiting for uh, something to happen so that they can enjoy happiness. That's why I said how to be happy and enjoy it. Now, interestingly enough, there are those who have found the secret to uh, happiness. And may I say this, uh, we must understand this eternal principle that happiness does not mean we're void our lives, we're void of problems. That doesn't mean happiness. To those who understand, they recognize problems as being blessings, and life is filled with blessings that are made up of problems—are mountains to climb, so to speak—that we might be even happier than we uh, may think we are. But those who have found this secret have found a secret that uh, will bring happiness to them uh, this life and through the eternities. Now, there are two or three steps that I'd like to talk to you about this morning, and uh, they're rather simple steps. You won't even have to make any notes because I think you'll be able to remember them. First, I'd like to uh, refer to what I think is one of the uh, cardinal principles of success as it relates to happiness contained in the scriptures. I'm going to read to you out of the uh, 18th chapter of Mosiah, starting with the 7th verse. Now These words aren't new to you, but maybe I can expand them in a way that it might bring a little more meaning uh, in your lives. And it came this is Alma speaking, and it came to pass after many days there were a goodly number gathered together at the place of Mormon, to hear the words of Alma. Yea, all were gathered together that believed on his word to hear him, and he did teach them, and did preach unto them repentance and redemption and faith on the Lord. And it came to pass that he said unto them, Behold, here are the waters of Mormon. For thus they were called, and now as ye are desirous to come into the fold of God, now he gives the secret now as we read this. He gives he's giving the secret elements of happiness. As ye are desirous to come into the fold of God and to be called his people, and are willing to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light, yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn, yea, and comfort those that that stand in need of comfort, and to stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places that ye may be in, even unto death. Then he goes on a bit further, and then he says this, Now I say unto you, If this be the desire of your hearts, now the desire again, the desire to bear one another's burdens, the desire to mourn with those who mourn, the desire to comfort those who stand in need of comfort, the desire to stand as a witness of God. He said, If this be the desire of your hearts, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord? as a witness before him that ye have entered into a covenant with him, that he will serve him and keep his commandments, that he may pour out his Spirit more abundantly upon you." In that last passage I read, there was the secret word, the first of the secrets to happiness, serve. As you review again sometime those elements that Alma uh, talked about, you recognize that he's talking about service, that being one of the key elements of happiness. Now, we have several other scriptural references which uh, let us know how important this point of service is and what it can do for someone who believes it. True disciples of Christ, brothers and sisters, are those who serve. You remember the example, and some of us don't, may I say this, some of us may not understand what we really mean by service. Remember the experience that two of the brethren had after the Savior was had been crucified. It's found in Acts. And remember that Peter and John went to the temple, went to the gate beautiful, and as they went by the gate into the temple, and that scriptural reference, there sat a man who had been lame since he was born. and He had his hand out, and he was asking for alms. He was begging. Peter and John came by, and the man looked up at Peter and held his hand out. And then Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, speaking to the, to the lame man, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, now these are some more secrets. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, meaning Peter, took him by the right hand and lifted him up. A secret, uh, Peter gave us another secret there, remember the words, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee, as you think of service to others. Another time in the New Testament, the twelve were gathered together with the Savior just before he was to be crucified and he was instructing them, and I suppose they were having a conversation about the instructions. And at one point in the conversation, James and John, who were, as you know, brothers, James and John asked the Savior if he would grant unto them their wish. And as the conversation went on, what is your wish? What was their wish? And it was this. They said simply, we would like, James and John said, we would like to be exalted, one on his right hand and the other on his left. They wanted to be lifted up above the crowd, so to speak. And he told them that this wasn't his to give to them. The Savior did. He said, I can't give that to you. That isn't mine to give, he said. And then we read in Mark this account. And when the ten heard it, this is the other ten of the twelve, when they heard James and John ask for this special privilege, they began to be much displeased with James and John. You see, they saw James and John as wanting to be lifted up, in a sense, above the others. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Some time ago, I was attending a stake conference in another uh, state. And as I arrived at the airport, the state president met me. We had about an hour's drive to the stake center. And as we were driving, we were talking about many things, and the conversation began to center on an individual who lived in the stake state president told me about this young lady who had gone on a mission, <clears throat> and uh, this experience had been about 20 years ago that she had gone on the mission she had been called, and she went to the mission field, and while she was there, <clears throat> she contracted polio, and she walked into the hospital in this New England city and to take some tests, and she never walked again. She uh, was paralyzed, and he said for twenty years she's been paralyzed from her neck down. He said she's not able to move any muscles below her neck, except a few on her fingers. He said, but she's an unusual young lady. She has a spirit that uh, is uh, something wonderful. Well. Before State Conference, I always get very nervous, not quite as nervous as before I come to BYU, but just about. And I said, I need to be built up, President, let's go by and see the young lady. So we went by her home, and she was living with her parents. We went into her room. There she lay on a bed, surrounded by the things that would uh, keep her interested and uh, filled her day full of whatever her day was filled with. As I walked into the room, I saw this uh, physically pitiful sight, Uh, but I felt a spirit that I have felt in very few places. and I was so overcome by the spirit that I began to ask her some questions. As she lay there, she could move a few fingers on one hand and a few on another hand but she couldn't move her arms back and forth like this. She had a pump, an air pump by her side, and every few she'd hold this tube in her hand, and every, every few minutes while she would put it in her mouth, and uh, it would blow air into her lungs, and then she would turn away, and her lungs would deflate. And she did this well, several times during an hour to keep air moving. And I said, tell me what you do during the day. Here you lay, 20 years, she's laying on, laying in the bed, and uh, 20 years with this uh, physical condition. And her parents said, well, we'll show you what she does. And so they brought a typewriter and put it in front of her on her bed. Then her mother laid her hand, one hand, on the typewriter keys, and then she took the other hand and laid them on the typewriter keys and then she showed how she, with these few fingers she would type. She said, well, what I do is this. I, during the day I find out those who are sick and discouraged and I write poems to them and poetry and letters and send them wishes that would try to make them happy. He said, I try to help those who are less fortunate than I am. Uh, and here she lay, you see, with nothing physical going for her hardly, but a spirit that would consume all that there is to consume. Another thing she did, they brought a phone and they put it in her hands and they moved it up to her ear and her mouth, and then she would, with the two fingers, punch the telephone, the dial. And she calls those who aren't as well off as she is and cheers them up during the day. Remember what Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee. And this is what Alma was talking about. If you have a desire to share one another's burdens, if you had have a desire to comfort, these kinds of things, you see, are what bring happiness in spite of physical conditions, physical circumstances that surround us that maybe aren't the best that we ought to have or would like to have. All right now let me give you a second suggestion the first is service the first is thinking of others before you think of yourself now the second in my conversations with <clears throat> over the years with parents and husbands and wives children who uh, make up family uh, family groups I found a scripture that uh, is the s- second secret. I find that if we would read this and believe it and practice it, we would have very few problems in marriage relationships, in relationships with children and parents, or children, brothers, and sisters with each other. And it's a very simple eight words contained in First uh, John, the fourth chapter. And there is recorded, there this is recorded, we love him because he first loved us. The secret being, he first loved us. Many of us seem to be waiting for others to give an expression. I'm not talking particularly of a dating situation. Be careful there, but I'm talking about in uh, in marriage situations, many of us in our homes, many of us in our relationship with brothers and sisters, many of us in our working with with people seem to constantly be waiting for them to say something or do something that would let us know that uh, they feel good about us. But the lesson there is we loved him because he first loved us. Many of us have committed ourselves, I suppose, to the proposition that we'll go 50% of the way when there's a problem situation. I'll go halfway if you go halfway, but the problem is that we get mixed up and there aren't too many who know what 50% is. Uh, Sometimes we're not sure if we're at 50% or sometimes it may be just 49.5%. And if one of the party goes 49.5% and the other party comes 49.5%, there's just a real narrow slit there before we get together, and that's where the important things drop through the crack, so to speak, the important things that cause happiness to occur. So may I suggest to you, in your pattern of life, I, as you get into marriage situations, I would suggest that the girls, particularly, ought to go 80% of the way in making things happy in the home. And then to you, brethren, I would suggest that you, especially you, ought to go 80% of the way. Now, when you each go 80% of the way, then you don't have to worry about that little narrow area that, that the problems occur in, because you've gone enough over and she's gone enough over that there's room for, if you happen to miss it 1%, you still don't blow the marriage out of the water. See, there's still room for those kind of mistakes. I remember what what John what was recorded in John. We love him because he first loved us. I remember some years ago, listening to a father bless a little baby, his first child. This was in a fast and testimony meeting. And uh, after the blessing, as you all know, we have time for testimonies. And the uh, father came to the stand and and. Uh, expressed his love for this little baby and his thanks to Heavenly Father for this little child. And he said to us something that I I haven't forgotten. He said, but you know, this is an interesting experience, having a little baby, the first one. He said, he doesn't seem to understand anything we say to him. We talk to him and he doesn't talk back. We talk to him and he doesn't react. So, all we can do, it seems all we can do, is just hold him in our arms and cuddle him and kiss him and squeeze him and tell him we love him and do things for him that will let him know that we love him. Afterwards, after the testimony, I thought, I hope that young father never forgets that principle. Regardless of the age of his little boy, or little girl, never forgets the principle, but that's the principle is that love him first, love him first, and then he will love you. And I hope that all of the, the adult life, even, that that father would feel comfortable in holding that boy, maybe even man, in his arms and letting him know that. I know here, I'm sure here among us, there are those of you who who maybe have never had one expressed to you in the way that you really felt it, this this feeling of love, acceptance. I have met with many, many young people, college and younger and older, who have never really known how they've stood with their parents or brothers and sisters. I remember uh, not long ago I was touring a mission in a foreign country, and While we were there, I asked the president, are there any particular problems in the mission? He said, well, we have one missionary that wants to go home. The only reason he hasn't gone home is because I still have his passport. You brethren that have been out, you know what that's like. But he said, I think I'm going to have to let him go. I said, well, can I talk to him? Would I be able to help you in any way? And he said, I don't really think so. I think we've done all the talking we can. I met him before the meeting. I was shaking hands with a bunch of missionaries before the meeting, and uh, I shook hands with this one young man, and I didn't know who he was, except I felt a little different spirit with him. And I, uh, Afterwards, I asked the president, who's this young man? And He said, well, he's the one that wants to go home, and I suppose so. I said, do you mind asking him after the meeting if you'd come up and let me visit with him? He said, that's fine. So after the meeting, the elder came up to the stand, and... I shook hands with him and said, I appreciate your coming up. I said, I wonder if you'd mind if I visited with you. And he uh, kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, I I don't care. Up to you. You know, so much as to say it's your nickel. Spend it how you want it. And so we went over the side. And uh, in this particular meeting room in this chapel we were in, there was a large stained glass window on one side. And I have talked with missionaries before about not going home before you're supposed to go home, and so I had a real good talk prepared on that subject, and, and at least I thought it was. And as I talked to him, he kept looking out the stained glass window. Never did I get his eye, and I kept giving my speech, and uh, I'm right in the very key uh, part of it where I thought, now, if this will, anything will turn in this will, what I'm going to say next. I'm about ready to say that. And he said, Bishop Peterson, if you look out the window very carefully, you'll see it's snowing. Well, I, I, took, I heaved a sigh, and I said, oh boy, he does not even know I'm here, except he wants me to see the snow. He hasn't heard a thing I've said. I looked out with him, I said, you're right, Elder, it's snowing. <clears throat> we finished the talk like that. and. Uh, for the next two days, I was around and with him in different meetings. One meeting we were, I was speaking. in one meeting, he was sitting off to the side, Jerry, holding the newspaper up as I was speaking, reading the newspaper. Well, that unnerved me just a bit. You can, you can see what his attitude was and how I was developing an attitude toward him. The last evening, we, we were together in a meeting, and I'd finished, and the meeting was over. And I was down in front shaking hands with some young people. And I saw him just a few feet away, out of the corner of my eye. And then something happened to me that I had not experienced. I've been asking for help. I've been praying about some way to help this young man. And then for a fleeting moment, something happened to me that I hadn't experienced up to that point as it related to this young man. And I had a feeling that came over me. That almost consumed me about this young man. I excused myself from talking to these other folks and went over to him and took hold of his hand. And he was about oh, I don't know, three or four inches taller than I was, and I looked up into his eyes and I said, "Elder so and so, I've enjoyed getting acquainted with you. I want you to know that I love you. I really do." And I left him. and didn't say any more. And he didn't say anything. He didn't have a thing to say. And I walked to the back door, and as I got back there, there he was again. And I went up to him, put my arm around him, and I said, what I said up in front a few minutes ago is true. I really love you. And then he held onto my hand a minute, and he said, Bishop Peterson, that's the first time in my life anyone has ever told me they love me. Now, you see, I can understand why he was discouraged, why he was confused, why he wanted to go home, why he didn't know what to do. Remember the principle, brothers and sisters. We love him because he first loved us. That's the second secret. Now, the third is very simple, and that is not to give up. There are those who try, and try, and try, and then give up. And then there are those who try, and try, and try, and never give up. And to those comes a success. Remember the story about the fishermen. Remember after the Savior was crucified, and some of the men, some of the apostles went fishing? Remember how they fished all night and didn't find a fish? They cast their nets in the water, brought them back, and every time they brought them back, they brought them back empty. They were tired, discouraged. Morning came, and they went to the shore. As they were approaching the shore, they saw a man walking on the uh, shore. They didn't recognize him. It was the Savior, but they didn't recognize him at that time. And as he got closer to them, he said to them, than lower your nets in the water over here." And they put their nets in one more time, and they didn't question him. They didn't say, we're tired, we've been trying, we fished all night, there aren't any fish, why should we do it again? They didn't ask him that question. But they listened, they obeyed, they cast their nets in, and they pil- pulled them back. And this time they pulled them back, filled with fishes. Now, may the Lord bless you, my brothers and sisters, to remember these elements of happiness service, love first, and don't give up. I leave my testimony with you that Jesus is the Christ. I I want you to know that I know that He's coming. And I pray that we'll all be ready when He comes, that we might enjoy that eternal happiness that our is promised to those who are the faithful. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.